This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. Today, we're looking back at NBA Summer League, which wrapped up with the Cavaliers beating the Rockets in the finale. I'm going to be talking about that with Kyle Mann. We're going to look ahead to the 2024 draft and then bring it on Tyler Parker to talk about the in-season tournament, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then my coworker, Logan Murdoch, to talk about the Golden State Warriors. Let's get right to it. So let's start off looking back. At the NBA Summer League, the Cavaliers won the Summer League title. They went undefeated. They were led by Isaiah Mobley, Evan Mobley's brother. He had a great Summer League. Sam Merrill, Imani Bates, who, of course, everybody knows. Imani Bates, a highly touted high school recruit, ends up struggling in college for a lot of different reasons off the court. Multiple transfers. Goes 49th to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Averaged 17 points. Shot 40% from three during Summer League. Played pretty competitive. Uh, he was trying, Kyle. I feel like after all the ups and downs, uh, is this the beginning of Bates carving out his spot in the NBA? Yeah, in watching him in Summer League, um, it, it kind of got me thinking about where we started and, and where we ended up with him. Like, you know, back, you know, there, there was an, one of my friends actually for The Athletic wrote a story about him way, way, way back when we thought the double draft was coming and it was looking like the age limit might change in the NBA. And then we had really focused in on Imani as this guy that was like going to be one of the first guys to go straight to the league when once the rule hypothetically changed. It didn't change, obviously. But back then, and we've, we've talked about this, I remember seeing him as like a 15-year-old and thinking at the time, I don't know if you remember, I have a vivid memory of him back then, but I remember thinking, okay, well, this guy's going to be like an elite shot creator. Like, the Lord knows where the rest of the stuff's going to go. He looked like a really competitive guy. We were thinking, I mean, superstar was where we were at. And it's been interesting to watch it shift over, you know, he goes to he goes to play in Ypsilanti, and he, it's kind of been the same pattern over and over again. Like you and I talked about back in the fall, he goes to Ypsilanti, and he just shoots. It's It seems like what Wimby did over with Mets 92, but a little wilder, you know, just shooting all the time, taking crazy contested self-created shots. He goes to Memphis, does a lot of the same, doesn't fit in with that team, leaves, goes to Eastern Michigan, uh, goes back home, goes closer to home and does a lot of the same stuff. And it kind of made me think about like, okay, we thought of him as this superstar. Now we've come all the way back to this point of, and when I was writing my like, uh, you know, summer league notebook manifesto thing I did, I was just thinking, you know, what what is Imani's role now? What you know, the Cavs obviously bolstered themselves in the offseason with the, you know, the Niang and the Max Struess additions. It seems like there's an opening there. Imani, is he as talented as a Karis Levert? Is there an opening there for him to be like a specialist? 
do are the specialists even work in the NBA today? I don't. I, I found myself thinking a lot about like what his role would be. I mean, it seems like he's probably like a spot up spacer now, right? I mean, he shot 40% from three, doing it off the dribble, doing it off the catch. I, I think for him, assuming that the three-point shot remains consistent and he takes good quality looks, he had seven, eight attempts per game. It's I think with Amani, he still had a severely negative assist-to-turnover ratio. He's still not passing the ball a lot, but that might be too much to ask him to change in those ways. If If he's a specialist in the sense that he's knocking down threes, he's able to attack closeouts, finish at the rim at at least a competent rate and be aware and competitive on defense. That's the big thing with him. Uh, at least he's trying more so in summer league than he was at lower levels. Playing next to Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and obviously Garland and Mitchell leading that backcourt. Bates, I, I could see it working. At the 49th picket, it was well worth the risk, I, I think, for Cleveland. And in the fin- final against, Cle- uh, against Houston, they face Cam Whitmore, another guy who was highly touted. Different story. He goes to Villanova. People expect him to be a top five, top ten pick. He falls to number 20 to the Rockets. He ends up winning Summer League MVP. He averages 19.3 points for Houston. They lost in the final to Cleveland, who, I, who as I just said, went undefeated. But Cam Whitmore was impressive. Uh, do you think it's too soon to call Cam Whitmore a major steal at number 20? I think it was a steal regardless. I mean, like, I know uh, I said this uh, on another show, but like, I, I know for a fact that Houston didn't think that he was going to be there and they just kind of took him. And even though it doesn't fit, it's, it's sort of a, a talent acquisition season for them. Just grab a bunch of stuff and see what makes sense. Um, I think it was more, it was less of a talent question for him and more just about the medicals from what I can, from what I've heard. I don't know if you've heard something similar. So yeah, from a talent standpoint from the outset, yeah, it's a steal. And then, but he honestly is, He's ahead. He he translated quicker than I thought he would. You know, um, I like a lot of the stuff that he was doing. You know, getting to the basket, um, really aggressive, played with a lot of energy. Um, I don't know. It, it I figured that he would be somebody that would get a lot of run in the, with their with their G League team in this first year. Um, because I know they like to use their G League team. Um, yeah, from the outset, you don't want to overreact to summer league, obviously. But the stuff I saw, I mean, he he didn't look lost out there. He was really applying his athleticism, which is the first thing he's going to be able to leverage in the NBA, I think. I think with Cam Whitmore, we saw everything that we know he's going to be good at. Um, but he still shot only 28.6% from three, 62.5% from the free throw line, still had more turnovers than assists. So I... I I don't want to, you know, when we say he's a steal, he's a steal at 20 in terms of the talent level, but it's still critically important that he improve in some of those areas. Uh, those are the, the, the areas that teams looked at and said, well, yeah, there's some medical issues. He's also not the best decision maker. He's also not the best shooter, didn't have the best workout. So there was reason, multiple reasons for him to fall to number 20. I think with Houston, he's just a, a worthy bet. Because if he figures out the jumper and becomes more consistent, it it may not matter if he's a guy who's just, you know, he's got tunnel vision looking at the basket when he's so explosive. We know he can finish and his defense continues getting better because that Houston supporting cast, we saw Jabari Smith plays a little bit at the start of summer league. They probably win the final against Cleveland if he's playing because he was absolutely Awesome. You get Shengun, who now is 6'10, 6'11, according to himself and others that have seen him, that he had a growth spurt. Houston with Amen Thompson, you wrote about him and your piece as well on the ringer.com as he plays one game, not even a full game, but 
he was absolutely sensational. This this Houston team, uh, they, they, it feels like they're starting to get the pieces, and Cam Whitmore being part of that is worth the upside. Yeah, I wonder. You're right about like the the developmental stuff that we came into the the summer league that we came away from the college season. He did show a lot of the same stuff. I mean, it's just he was sort of just shot out of a cannon and just unleashed uh, to go and do the things that he does do well. But the efficiency stuff, that's what made me say the thing about Summer League. Um, Houston did a lot to Houston did a lot, I think, to improve and sort of address the things that they needed to work on. In the piece, I talked about how uh, they were basically one of the worst or they were the worst closeout points per per chance team in the NBA. They were the worst team in terms of like creating uncontested threes. They were the worst team in assists. They just, I don't know if they stunk. They were terrible. Yeah, they were bad. (laughs) They were bad. Like they didn't—they didn't have to go out of their way. I said they didn't have to, you know, actively self-sabotage just because the team, the way it was put together, just naturally they turned the ball over a lot. That's the big thing, you know. Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., those guys off the bounce. Jabari, I think, really paid the price as as a result of that because it was sort of a repeat of. Can Jabari just get on a team that can make his life easier? You know, we want him to develop on ball and to do all those things, which he did really well, which we can talk more about. But like. It's just going to be nice. I think for him specifically, it's going to be nice to have a little bit more maturity with, you know, Fred Van Vliet, the ball moves through him pretty well. Amin, the ball moves through him pretty well. I think that he, Jabari specifically, will reap, you know, the benefits of that. And we could see a big leap forward, especially when, you know, I had this in my piece too. If you go back and you kind of look at the guys of similar body types like him, if you go and look at some of their shooting numbers at similar ages, he's really not that far off. So as I, you know, as like kind of alarming and as much, you remember we were in uh, Salt Lake City and you took Jabari in that draft, and I was like, I don't know, man. I was worried. <laughs> yeah. And we we've come back a little bit. You know, it's like uh, I still think I won that draft, Kev. But uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I mean we're coming back. I, I think that it, he is going to be um, for for the things we were worried about. I think I think we could see a big step forward from Jabari this year. So on Beyond the Arc last week, I asked Waz, uh, "Who's the team that is geared to take a Kings like leap this coming season?" And and we talked about Indiana. Waz was raving about their off season, the way they're building around Halliburton, the leap that he could take personally as a player. Uh, Tyler Parker. On this week, obviously with him, it's Oklahoma City. With you, the way you're talking about Houston with Jabari getting better, adding Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, say what you want about him offensively. He's a really good defender. Um, you know, Jalen Green maybe gets better in this new ecosystem. Shengun maybe gets better. It, could Houston be that team that goes from, you know, bottom of the barrel to, hey, we're competing for the play in the season. I kind of agree with Waz on the Indiana thing. With Houston, it's like, okay, you look, the Kings leapt up to 48 wins this past year. Um, I mean, is Houston going to get there? Are they going to have like a 40, uh, you know, a 26 win jump? I don't know if it's going to be that severe, but they are going to be better. Like, I, I mean, they're going to be significantly better. Whether or not uh, the West is just super, super crowded. I mean, that's the big thing. If you look at like one through maybe 11 or even 12, we have teams that could potentially make the playoffs. Someone's going to be the odd person out. It's like a roster that has too many bodies. Like, you could have a lot of legitimate pieces and somebody is just the odd person out. I feel like the West is going to be like that. I'd say Houston is going to be there. I mean, it, it's probably more likely that that OKC makes that jump and kind of and kind of leaps up. They'll have Chet back. You could also see Orlando making a big step forward. Um, 
based on the pieces that they added. But yeah, Houston or OKC are probably the two, but I think OKC is going to be probably the more valid, legit playoff, you know, contending type team, I think, next year. Let's look ahead to the 2024 draft now where the top two picks couldn't end up being G Leaguers for the first time. Ron Holland, a six foot eight wing out of Texas, super athletic, two way potential. He's the type of guy who always plays hard. And one of the bonuses with him next season is that he's going to be the young, one of the youngest players in the class. He's not going to turn 19 until after draft day. His birthday is July 7th. So he just turned 18 now. He reminds me a little bit of Jalen Brown, Harrison Barnes, that type of thing. And then Matas Buzelis, six foot ten point forward type of player. He's from Illinois. He's kind of a, a connective playmaker, more so than a, a lead guy. He can be plugged into a whole bunch of different roles with his size and shooting ability. He's like kind of a Lamar Odom type. Between Holland and Buzelis, Kyle, who do you prefer uh, as the better NBA prospect looking ahead to next season? They do just such different things. You know, I guess it comes into it depending on who has that pick, what they're going to be looking for. Like Holland, it's funny, like whenever I would watch him, uh, whenever I'd watch him in just game flow, I'd be like, he does a lot of just he does a lot of Scotty Barnes ish things. Like he's very like you mentioned that he's very big. He's very active. He has a lot of interest in the little things, you know, you know, we always talk about like the pro, the pro inside interviews that we really enjoy is like context for guys, like how they think, you know, how engaged in basketball are they? And I went and watched his interview and they were like, who do you, who do you model yourself after? And without hesitating, he was like Scotty Barnes. Hmm. I was like, okay, well that makes sense then. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, Duncanville, Texas, which is a place that just produces a ton of basketball talent. I mean, he's just, he's somebody that I think is going to be able to, he said another thing that I thought was really interesting is that he he treats every play like it's the last play of the game. And when you watch Holland, uh, it, that's very, very clear. He, he's um, not just talking when he says that. That's 100 percent true. He does. Yeah. And, and and just he goes all out. He sells out like I, I think he's going to be able to guard multiple positions. I mean, there's a world, I think, where Holland could be like an all defense level talent. You know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But if we're talking about him at the number one pick, I don't think that's getting too ahead of myself. Um yeah, Holland, I guess the question is the shooting and stuff, man. I mean, how how confident are you offensively about him? I mean, I think at rim, you know, there's no doubt about what he can be. He's athletic, he's explosive, he's decisive. I, I think, like, the player you're describing, there's a the high-effort player who can finish and who's smart and understand who he is. There's a, there's a high floor in the sense that he could default to being, like, a, a really good slasher, uh, a great versatile defender, a tone setter on defense. It's going to be about the development of his jumper. You see the flashes. Um, I don't think his form is is bad by any means. It's just about finding some level of consistency over the time with him. I, I think with Holland, I, I have him you know, one spot behind Buzelis right now on my board. With Buzelis, I, I think with him, he doesn't necessarily have that elite athleticism or NBA body that Holland does, but there's a, a easier path to seeing him filling so many different schemes on offense. You can use him as a guy. I compared him to Lamar Odom. He can bring the ball up the floor at six foot ten and initiate your offense. 
But at his high school season, he made 43% of his trees. So it was his best year that he's had shooting the ball. So after a lot of con- inconsistencies at other levels, if he's closer to 40% than 30%, you're talking about somebody who's a reliable shooter off the catch, off of movement, who can pull up a little bit, who's a super high IQ player without the ball. He's one of the best cutters in this class. And defensively, it's kind of the opposite of Hall, and you have no questions about what he can be on defense. With Buzelis, it's, okay, he's a good team defender, he's smart, he can help with the rim, but like this dude is lanky, he is skinny, he really needs to get stronger, but how much stronger can he actually get? Um, there's questions about him on that end, but offensively, I think he can plug and play in any type of situation and find a way to flourish. Yeah, you talked about like physically his profile. You look at him. I mean, he's very skinny, very narrow shoulders, very skinny mm-hmm. hips. Uh, both, but you know, the feel and the stuff really pop off the page. He he looks like he's playing the game at a different speed at, at times. Um, huge. I mean, he has sort of a high center of gravity. But important to note too that you know both of his parents. He grew up in America, but both of his parents were Lithuanian professional players. So you can see where he just has some of that natural basketball IQ. So he's like a, a second out. I don't know if anybody else in their in their family played basketball. But uh, yeah, I mean, the hit mobility is the thing on defense, whereas like Holland is sort of the, the opposite of him in that way that like I it makes you wonder if he's going to be if he's going to get picked on defensively. He has good hands, he has good touch. He's a little bit like more fluid. But um, yeah, it's he he seems like somebody that's going to be a spacer that evolves into a facilitator with time uh because the shot looks great he has like really clean lines his elbow looks great his shot um he's just a really high skill really really high feel player i like him a lot Welcome to Beyond the Arc. My name is Kevin O'Connor. This is our final episode of our playoff postseason, offseason run. We'll be back next October. Looking forward to that. We got a loaded show today. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. I'm here with Tyler Parker from TheRinger.com. Big fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder, aren't aren't you, Tyler? Yes, I'm thundering as we speak right now. I am thundering. <laughs> yes, I mean I wanted to talk to you, Tyler, today because as a fan of the Thunder, I think you guys are a perfect example of a fan base that could find great enjoyment of the NBA's new in-season tournament, which is going to happen in November into December. Teams are going to be playing each other on Tuesdays and Fridays throughout November. There's going to be eight teams. We're going to have three teams from each conference, one wild card from each conference that are determined through their group play, which the NBA has already revealed those standings. You can see those teams on the screen. It's going to be interesting in November. Then those teams will go to Vegas, where we are recording now here at Las Vegas Summer League, December 7th and 9th, with the final four. And I just think for Oklahoma City, you know, a team like that on the rise, New Orleans on December 9th last season had the best record in the Western Conference. The Celtics did in the East. There's an opportunity for a young team like OKC to get off to a great start to the season and make a run. Uh, Are you, as a fan of OKC, kind of excited about the in-season tournament? Have something else to root for? How do you think about it? I am always excited at the idea of merit-based 
national TV games. National TV games that everybody's going to be watching at the same time that don't just have to do with, oh, it's the Lakers, so we'll put them on TV. Oh, it's the Knicks, so we'll put them on TV. And it doesn't matter if they suck halfway through the year. (laughs) We've already scheduled this, so they're just going to be on TV. We just got to deal with it, right? Now that there's an opportunity, like you say, for these young teams that are on the upswing who maybe might not have been as visible to some other of the casual fans, this will give them a way kind of, I think, to hopefully the NBA uses it as a way to further market some of these young dudes on some of these up and coming teams that they say initially, like, aren't deserved of as many national TV games and stuff like that. Like you look, if you want to talk about the Thunder and kind of being able to finally get some, you know, positive eyeballs, positive attention on them. You look at somebody like Shea last year, winds up first team all NBA. The Thunder have, I think, two national TV games all year, maybe with a third flexed later on and stuff like that but that was after they took away the Ch- the Chet Paolo <laughs> game was supposed to be nationally televised and then once Chet goes down very quickly they were like actually no oh, f- we're done with that never mind um, but it like it'll I'm a, in retrospect it's kind of a crime that a guy that was on first team all NBA was on TV so little you know what I mean and um, I think this will be a way for more and more people to just become aware of these guys a little bit earlier because there is something that is at stake absolutely I mean there is and I think the NBA is doing a good job with scheduling this it's the games for the the, the play into the in-season tournament they are every Tuesday and every Friday through the month of November. So it's like, you know, if you're tuning into a game that night, it's a group play game. There's higher stakes. Yeah. There's potential money at stake for players. There's an award. And I think ultimately, though, like talking to players, I interviewed Scoot Henderson in Vegas, and and he said to me, I was like, you know, what do you think about the in-season tournament? Like a lot of fans have mixed opinions. He's like, I love it. It's something else to play for. Sure. It's something else, you know, that, that gives the season meaning. Yeah. And that's kind of what I hear from a lot of players, you know, that I talk to executives there's mixed opinions um fans there's mixed opinions but it seems like i I think they'll be buying from players i do i'm i'm super duper open to the idea that it's gonna wind up being fun like those sometimes these things you know you get excited about something and it is a big dud but then other times it's like the elam ending in the all-star game and whenever that whenever teams are competing and that hits at the right moment that's a very very exciting thing that had they not added that into the mix you know you might not get um you know just Kyle Lowry balls to the wall taking charges <laughs> on Embiid in the middle of an all-star game right like there's just certain things that would not happen without this um, uh, evolution of the rules or whatever you want to call it. I am, I was more wearisome of the idea of an in-season tournament before it was explained that a lot of these games are just going to be standard regular season games too and go towards that sort of stuff. I got worried whenever... they matter. They do matter. Yeah, they yes. matter. And I got worried about like, well, don't add more games to the schedule that's going to just make these dudes sit out at different points now and different you know what i mean like it it, now that it's at least still part of um the regular season in a way it does kind of feel like you're getting to have your cake and eat it too which has never been a saying that i understand (laughs) but i I still use it i mean people like to eat cake they do Uh, but like if you have your cake aren't you gonna like who doesn't eat the cake if they have it (laughs) if you have the cake you're gonna eat it so if it, it, if you have your cake and you don't eat it, 
what are you even doing? The whole point of having it in the first place is to eat it. You know what I mean? You don't just order it and put it on the table and put it on display. Maybe, maybe yeah. Instagrammers, they take their photos for the gram. To have your cake and not eat it would be the act of a psychopath. And or just someone who doesn't appreciate what they've been given. And I, I don't want to be around anybody like that. I want to be around grateful people. Well, I, you think, know? I think OKC has put together a team of people who do eat their cake. They do. Uh, they have a lot of We need to get Chet some more cake. Yes. Kev, we got to get Chet a lot of cake that, that, that's, this year. That's the one who needs more cake. I need so much cake in Chet. I, want, like, I would love to just, I, I hope he's, I know he's put on some weight. And I know it's far harder than just like, you know, taking with Ted's cafe escondito which you don't know about but i do because i'm an oklahoma mm-hmm. boy but take him down to ted's you know pump him full of some tortillas and just like let's get some fat on that guy but i'm sure they're trying they've got to be doing stuff right i mean he gained 13 pounds and he's like he's still skinny it was funny <laughs> i saw skinny. one of the one of the uh one of the like you know sports center and espn do the worst little Instagram social posts sometimes and one of them was sort of like Chet last year compared to Chet this year and there was really seemed to be no difference aside from maybe a nice little vein here that had appeared <laughs> but the way that yeah. they cropped it it like it made it where the his right arm got to also kind of benefit from his old left arm. It was like, it was like mushed together a little bit. And so it looked like they were trying to do him some favors there too. None of this should you, go in. Tucker, take all this out. Are you saying it was Photoshop? Tucker, what's going on? We got to take all this out. Are you saying this is photoshopped? No, I'm not saying it was photoshopped. I'm saying that the, the, that the, that the crop did shed some favors, which I appreciated. Sure. But looking at him now, it was weird. Like looking at watching him now, like he looked freakish skinny last year, I think. And he still looks super duper skinny, but you don't watch him like, oh, you're going to like fold up like a bad umbrella or something, Mm -hmm. right? Like he doesn't have the like, he doesn't look collapsible now. And he's like, he's wiry enough that I'm not as terrified. Like you're always scared of these dudes that are tall and gangly and have big feet but i don't know he's moving pretty fluid he's looking pretty good i'm excited attacking closeouts you know taking threes blocking shots with two hands at the rim i know chet's been amazing to watch do you this do you think that what i would love to like there should be some sort of master list of very specific types of plays on a basketball court like live dribble one-handed passing but two-handed blocks would be if you're Mm. just talking about cool yeah something that in a game somebody does it and it looks consistently cool that's something that looks pretty consistently that's if there with a fadeaway like even if it doesn't go in even if you don't even really get the block that good it just looks it's a very it's a very sexy thing a two-handed block is just it's mean yeah it's very it's it's like you are so small i'm able to get both hands up and take the ball away there's something very carnal about it because it's very disrespectful and very it's very upsetting i think to the offensive player but it's also like it suggests that the player was like had their wits about them beforehand that they weren't freaking out they weren't just wailing for the ball and happened to catch it they were like i know exactly where (laughs) you're going and i know exactly where my hands are going Kaysen wallace had had like a few of those at kentucky and that was like when i started seeing those i was like oh this is kind of and then they got him i know i was i mean kev uh, you know i was pumped up 
you got to be pumped up about that, right? I have to be. I mean, you know. he, he adds a new – I mean, it's not a new element in the sense that OKC has a ton of ball handlers already, but it's a new element in the sense that he's 6'3". Yeah. He's one of the, on the smaller side, and yet he's an awesome defender. He had ga- a game this year, I believe, with seven, eight steals earlier in the season. He had multiple games with, you know, four or five plus. The dude is unbelievable on defense, and like with these other OK, OKC players, Giddy, SGA, Jalen Williams, both Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren. They have a ton of guys, Poku, across the roster that... Thank you for it, throwing him in. That was nice of you. Thank I, you for doing I, that. I mean, how that could I not? I, I almost was very angry with myself for not mentioning him I in the first want, place. I, I, look, I, I had to interject. I think it's fine if you're doing Poku. You do him like it's, you know, it's, the movie is starring all these people, and then it's sort of featuring these other ones, and it's all names you don't know, but then the last one is like, and featuring... <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh or something, you know what I mean? Like Samuel L. Jackson, just something like out of nowhere. You're like, oh, they're in too. Of course, you got to do something nice I for them. See this? Yeah, that's you know, po- I mean, that's a bad, that's a bad thing to say to M. Emmett Walsh and Sam Jackson to compare them to Poku. But I hope they know that I'm doing that with love in my heart for them and for him. Well, you know? Because you and I both have a lot of love in our hearts for Alexei Pokushevsky. But wait, I went away from Kaysen. It, what, the, the 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 thing I was excited, the thing that made me so excited about watching at least these. The Utah games, not with Case because he didn't play, but just with the Thunder and then watching Kaysen in the first game here at Vegas with them, they really are going to have, I think, a not insignificant number of lineups and lineup combos that they can put out there and have all five dudes be able to handle it and decision make and actually like, you know, not just like they're together enough to be able to like you know do a lift bounce bounce and take a jumper right like they're all gonna have guys that can like get somebody in the air go by them draw another couple quick hit somewhere another quick hit somewhere and it's just constant rotation chet being able to play so well in that type of system already able to drive the way that he's been able to do and just like find people like he's a better passer i think than people realize because he just didn't he didn't have the ball in college enough and so it's like i think he can just do more with the ball in his hands and to see them go get somebody like casein who is able to fill all those little gaps and like he can learn from Dort on the defensive end and offensively you already see that he's going to be able to be on or off ball and I mean he was five for six in the first half from three in the first game here like I really think he's just going to be able to eat off of these dudes in in ways that um you know if they had just gone and, and gotten some you know springy big or something to put next to Chet like while that might have made sense in 2009 to now be like no you know what you can't have enough ball handlers this is great Mm -hmm. like let's get playmakers out here and have them be cool enough with each other to not be pissed that this guy has the ball right now you know what i mean like it's that that combo has been fun to see them keep committing to building that The interesting thing with Oklahoma City, a couple months back, you came on with J. Kyle Mann as well, and we talked about OKC with their size and the flexibility and the versatility that Mark Dagnall, one of the best coaches in basketball, has at his disposal. And with OKC, I think after drafting Wallace, 
it's even more lineup flexibility because now they can play a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. They can still play long and rangy where SGA could be the smallest guy on the floor at yeah. six foot six with length. And with the Thunder, they're in that position now with all their talented youth. SGA, a borderline MVP candidate at this point, already an all NBA guy. What's been on my mind, like we started this conversation talking about the in-season tournament with that opportunity to win something of value mid-season and over time, hopefully that builds and becomes something people care about over the course of time. But with ultimately the goal is the NBA finals and hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. And for OKC, for San Antonio with Wemby and, you know, Utah with Larry Markinen, what's been on my mind with some of these really good young teams with young players who are contributing is, is that could this become like in the NFL where you have a great young quarterback still on their rookie deal yeah. where you actually should go for it now rather than when all of these guys come up with their big contracts under this new CBA going into the second apron. I just wonder, you know, we're hearing these rumblings about, you know, do the Spurs want to go for Damian Lillard? Do the Jazz want to go for Damian Lillard? I don't think they will, but I I just think there's logic to a team like OKC with all of their picks and all of their young players to go get the next star who makes sense. Dame doesn't for them, but the next guy who makes sense. Now, what are your right. thoughts on that? I mean, I don't I don't disagree with your logic. I same way you think the Jazz and the Spurs won't trade for Dame. I don't think the Thunder are going to be pulling any assets anytime soon in any serious way to go get somebody unless it was just the perfect kind of other star got disgruntled and fell into their lap and it made total sense. I think like Presti's been pretty adamant since the season ended that they don't really know what they have now. Like even what like the, the I mean they're they're they still got a lot of cuts to do to get the roster to where it needs yeah. to be right now. They're way over right now. It's a deep roster. Deep roster. And so and it but he's been pretty clear about like we don't know what we have we got to figure out how it works so i think that they're gonna be you know i think they'll be patient i think they'll i think they want to see what chet looks like when he's when he's the only big out there i think they want to see what he looks like next to uh big jalen williams i think they'll want to see the different places that they can play santa clara jalen williams like Mm -hmm. how much four can he play like you know Giddy's big enough now. He can he could he could guard up. You don't have to have him on guards, especially now that Kason's there. If Dort if the shots just not falling and defenses are sagging off of him too much, and you want to start making them pay, I think there's enough to figure out with this current team that they're going to give themselves time to figure out what it looks like when the lights are on. I, it would not surprise me if the move to pool assets comes sometime next year, maybe, or something like that, depending next on how, summer, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- depending on how this goes. I mean, I, I used to always, and I probably said this to you at some point, I used to always sort of think like their model, I think before last year, before they realized like how good SGA really was going to become was be bad enough to get these high lottery picks and you know you trust your scouting and developmental process and you get good dudes and make them better right but then you are sort of trying to follow that kind of like sun's model they were doing there for a little bit where it's like okay booker's ready to go now eight and two 
Uh, Bridges is looking good. Cam Johnson's looking good. Let's go get Chris Paul and let's make this thing sing now, right? Like, I think for a while that was maybe kind of the idea. And I really don't, like, I think that it could go so many... There's just so many dudes to be excited about on the team right now. I think they don't want to bring in... I would imagine they would be worrisome of bringing somebody established in who is going to require a bunch of possessions and a bunch of shots that might stifle because like it's going to be so fascinating to see how even the shot distribution works for them this year just as it exists currently with all these young dudes right like Shea's probably going to get even more like well now that I say that Shea might get less shots now just because another year better Jalen Williams another year better Chad like there's just there's 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 better dudes out there so it wouldn't surprise me if his efficiency goes up but the but the shot total goes down he'll get to the line more but I mean he's already so good at that but I think he'll even take another leap just reputation wise like he was he started to get those rep calls last year but I think even more now once you're an all NBA dude you get it more and more and more this is this is a wonderful quote-unquote problem to have right and and with okc all these names you're throwing all these exciting young player names do you think they have a better core a better future than the spurs with wemby headlining better than the jazz with marketing and they had a good draft keontae george taylor Hendricks. does okc still have the best young core in the nba Man, I mean, I've always told you I can't be trusted with questions like this because well, I'm, no, such, I, a, I'm I want, such a I want the bias I'm such answer. a <laughs> little homer though. I can't like I think I think that they. I mean, my team that I think is, you know, I'm a I'm a Magic fan. Mm-hmm. And the Thunder I, have a better core than the Magic though. I think they. I, I I'm I'm not going to fight you on that, but I do think that. I'm so excited about Anthony Black, even though the shot's not great. Like, just as a playmaker. I think he's going to make the lives of Paolo and Franz easier, even though those guys are obviously going to have the ball a lot too. But I don't know. I still have a lot of – I got a lot of love for the Magic. I, the, Wimby's dud of a debut aside, like I still sort of believe – that anything is possible with him. Like he seems like a miracle of a player to me as just as a, a prospect. Of a human. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like it, it, uh, it, I think once he gets his, you know, once he gets his sea legs, it'll all be fine. And I, I mean, he, he seems like he's going to kill everything that moves. Right. Like I, I, okay. So he is the best young core. I, 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 I don't want to be, re- I want to be reasonable. I think I so think much that, depth, so many picks. They have the best young core. I think they do have, I think they probably do because I think you can still say that Shea is, is young enough to yes. be a part of it. And Shea is the proven guy. None of the other, none of those other teams have a dude that is proven on Shea's level at this point. So 100%. I, but I, yes. I mean, don't, you know, don't, don't make that a breakout. Don't make that a breakout where it's like <laughs> Tyler Parker says, uh, be like, maybe we will make it a breakout. Nah, everybody's like, oh, oh, did he? Oh, cool. <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond the Arc, man. Thanks and for having good, me, buddy. Good luck next season, in-season tournament. Who knows? Okay, I know. So we'll see, see, maybe I'll come back. Maybe they'll be here. Maybe I'll come back and see you. We'll talk again. Amazing. Thank yeah. you, Tyler. Good to see you, buddy.
Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. I'm here with Logan Murdoch from TheRinger.com with his little B, the Base God shirt with Tupac. A real photo, right? Yeah, this right? happened. This, actually, this literally happened. <laughs> that's not Photoshop. That's actually Not too real. far away from here, actually. Look like Jesus, hipster girls, little B yeah. uh, <laughs> from the Bay Area. As is Logan. How are you doing today, man? I'm chilling, man. I'm doing a great job, man. The force and the bass god is with me at all times. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I saw the bass god live in concert many years ago. Probably the worst show I ever went to, but the best energy mm. in the crowd that I ever went to. <laughs> I saw the bass god at House of Chicken and Waffles at Jack London Square <laughs> in Oakland. And it was great. I have a picture with him. Maybe I'm probably going to frame it one day. Maybe later this year you will see Brandon Pajimski, Warriors rookie, with Warriors new acquisition Chris Paul at that same place because the Warriors had a little bit of an interesting offseason here. They signed Dario Saric, their six foot ten biggest guy on the roster. They they add Chris Paul. They draft Pajimski with their top twenty pick. Pajimski is one of the standouts in summer league with what we've seen with the California Classic. We're recording this the opening weekend of summer league in Las Vegas. Pajimski continues to do well. You know, he's a scorer from the perimeter. We're seeing him take these weird little funky shots, one footed threes. He's a playmaker with feel feels like a very warriors-esque player but do you expect him at all despite you know how well he's playing and how much he fits the warrior system to be somebody who steve kerr actually gives minutes to as an nba rookie at this point no i don't see him getting much much minutes because like you said they just acquired chris paul and they want to have a more veteran focus on their basketball team it's going to be similar to the 21 22 season when they had Otto porter uh, they had bielitsa they had a lot of guys that were veteran uh, like players on minimum deals that were that were that were uh that were really, really functional players. And I think that they're going to lean on that, especially after they tried the youth movement last year. And I know there were extenuating circumstances to that, to to the growth of that movement. But I think they're going to go more veteran presence. And as a, as a consequence, I don't think that their draft picks are necessarily going to get much burn when it comes to real basketball for them. What about even like one of the younger guys, though? I mean, Moses Moody at this point, he's got some NBA experience. He's done well with limited minutes. Do you think there's at least one guy, young guy, Kaminga, Moody, somebody like that that could earn a more consistent role? role or is your expectations that this is just going to be straight veterans and that those guys are going to end up being even potentially trade pieces? Well, what's interesting, I mean, they could be trade pieces that you can never rule that out, but they're actually veterans in this in this system. If you think about it, they're going into their third year, um, Moody and uh, Kaminga, and they got a lot of postseason experience, right? Moody is one of the, the smartest guys, young guys on the roster and knows the system, and he's definitely going to get a lot more burn, and I think they want him to take the next step. Kaminga, I think they just want him to focus. They want uh, him to play a bit more consistent than he plays because that's always the knock on him. He has a, a, a range of games where you're like, who is this guy? He is so good. And then He's you had have, great defensive moments as well. Yeah, I think about the game against Utah earlier this season or last season when he just had a, a crazy block uh, that, down the stretch that was nullified by, ironically, a Jordan Poole turnover. But there was, a, uh, there was there, there is a hope that Kaminga can be consistent. And he played really well down the stretch of last season. Um, but we'll see if he can take that next step. He's, he has all the tools, but he has to be consistent. I mean, so the Warriors go from Jordan Poole turnover fest, brick fest, to Chris <laughs> Paul, uh, one of the, the point god, and he does not turn the ball over, but he's in a system unlike anything that he's been part of before. We've seen him, you know, with New Orleans, with the Clippers, with Oklahoma City. That's probably the great, the greatest comparable to what the Warriors have done with the motion. He was playing with a younger Shea Gildas Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, so it was a ball-sharing offense. 
But for Chris Paul, I mean, the Houston days with James Harden, this is with the Warriors, unlike anything yeah. that he's been a part of. Is there any sense that you have about the way they envision utilizing Chris Paul as part of their system? Is it Does he need to adapt? Is it players adapting to him? Like, How is this going to go? It's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to each other in that way. Uh, I think Chris Paul is probably going to be leading the second unit a lot of the time. Um, and also, you know, talking to people around the Warriors, the biggest thing that they want to do is they want to have a veteran presence in that locker room that they didn't have to be able to talk to Draymond and have a, have a person in that locker room that's a veteran that Draymond respects. Um, now, it remains to be seen how that's going to play out this season, um, considering the fact that Chris Paul uh, was such an adversary for this team for, uh, over the years. And it's, it's going to be curious to see how he he integrates into that locker room. By all accounts, though, you know, everybody has wanted him. Steph had to sign off on this. Steve Kerr had to sign off on this. Draymond had to sign off on this. And it's going to be a, 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 an interesting exper- experiment, if you will. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes, because Chris Paul, is a ball stopper um, and I say that in the most affectionate way he's one of the best point guards to ever do it but he has a style where you know he wants to play uh, pick and roll basketball and he's up there in age and another concern that you're going to have with Chris Paul is his health um, if you need him to be a consistent uh, you know, second unit player he's going to have to stay, stay healthy and that's on Rick Celebrini and the medical staff um, if they can this, that's going to be a, another test for them they had a similar type of test of keeping DeMarcus Cousins healthy a few years ago um, you know, when he was coming off the Achilles, but they're going to have to, there's going to be a lot of maintenance on Chris Paul because of his age. Now, he's one of the greatest point guards of all time, but he's a guy that hasn't reached uh, that level that he wants to be deep into the postseason when you get to April and May. Um, in, in the 2020, uh, 2022 postseason, he was a guy when he played against the Pelicans where his body was just breaking down on him. And you could see it in spurts in last postseason. So that's going to be something to keep your eye out on is his health going forward. I mean, it's going to be you know fascinating to see this kind of clash of styles. You mentioned how he's, you know, you say it in an affectionate way, a ball stopper. He, he's, the, he's the guy who controls the offense. He's the center of a solar system. That's what he's been for throughout his career in so many different situations. And now for the Warriors, I wonder, you know, we always ask over the years, oh, the Warriors draft James Wiseman. Will they run more pick and roll? No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with Stephen Curry against the Warriors and against the Kings in game, se- uh, game seven in the first round, will they run more pick and roll? Yes, they yeah. did. Right? Like, they, I think with, with Chris Paul, I wonder if we will see some more of that, you know, maybe in some bench units with a Jonathan Kaminga type. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just curious to see if Steve Kerr kind of integrates some of what makes Chris Paul Chris Paul yeah. into their half-court offense. With CP3, like, he's a solid spot-up shooter. He's a low-volume guy, but he's good percentage-wise. He's going to have to do that. I wonder if we see him kind of in that Draymond role sometimes, mm. the dribble handoff guy at elbow actions. Like, we've never seen Chris Paul in those types of situations, but with the Warriors... That could be a creative way to utilize him. And if he doesn't do that for Golden State, the interesting wrinkle here is the fact he is a $30 million expiring contract. Come midseason, if it's not working with Chris Paul, you can use that with future picks, with Kaminga, with Moody, with even a Pajimski type, whoever it might be, and and flip them. I think for the Warriors, they are incomplete in the sense that we don't know if this is going to be what they look like come next March, April, they're on the, f- the final stretch of the year. It's ultimately going to be up to Chris Paul and Steve Kerr to figure out how they integrate those two. Whereas I think for the Lakers, um, they have a good draft. They get Huchifino in the lottery. Um, I think with the Kings, they get Colby Jones in the 
first round. They make other good additions. They get they get Barnes Lyles back. They add Chris Duarte, a young player. They the Lakers signed Vincent Prince Reddish, a bunch of others. Those teams got better, as did the Warriors. Between the Kings, the Warriors, and the Lakers. Do you, which of those three teams do you feel like got the better the most this offseason and their chase to, you know, topple yeah. Denver? That's the key here. That's the key. I think the Lakers. I, I think I'd pick the Lakers because by and large, the, the, the Warriors and the Kings, uh, specifically, excuse me, the, the Kings pretty much stayed the same. They re upped with, with mm-hmm. Harrison Barnes. And, uh, you know, the Gabe Vincent pickup for the Lakers was huge. Um, they were able to keep Austin Reeves. Yep. Um, they're really they, a cheap deal. And, and, yeah. Them. And they really also, they made the moves for this season during last year's trade deadline, right? And getting Bando in the yep. building and getting um, a, a competent bench to, uh, to complement AD and LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can keep AD and LeBron he- healthy, I think we're going to look at this offseason and say, oh, the, the Lakers made the, the best splash because, you know, when you think about even the Warriors, you know, let, make no mistake about it, Chris Paul and the Warriors is a one-year experiment. Yeah. Right? And it's a and it's a one-year experiment, not only for Chris Paul, but this maybe this iteration of the Golden State Warriors. I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Uh, Steve Kerr still hasn't signed a new deal. And, you know, is, at this point, it's just, you know, it's, it's uncertain if he's going to be here beyond this season at this very moment when we're talking in Vegas right mm-hmm. now, right? I mean, Bob and, Myers leaves. Exactly. Those guys so, were tight. Him and Steve Kerr. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting. The Kings are also an interesting thing because it's it's gonna I'm curious to see if they take that leap right because they caught everybody by surprise last year and now everybody's going to be scouting against them they're going to be scouting against De'Aaron Fox they kind of have the blueprint on Sabonis after last postseason it's going to be interesting to see the next step that they make um, going into next season and they got a lot of they got a lot of hitters on that team with Malik Monk and and uh, Keegan Murray who was I was talking to Mike Brown the other day out here Vegas and um, he was just, ta- just marveling at the fact that uh, Keegan has gotten so big, right? <laughs> yeah. And he, there was even uh, <laughs> in Sacramento circles, which is very, you know, uh, taken with a grain of salt, but there was just even some like Kawhi noise out of Sacramento because they were just, and that just tells you how exciting Sacra- how excited Sacramento is for this group. Now um, we'll see what happens next season, but they are trying to take that leap next year and we'll see if they're going to do that. Logan, thank you for joining me on Beyond the Arc today, man. And also, thank you, Base God. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Base God. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for watching Beyond the Arc. We'll be back next season sometime. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you to the entire crew that's worked on it this postseason, offseason, draft season. Been a lot of fun saying goodbye here from Las Vegas Summer League. Hope you enjoy your NBA offseason.